We'll turn in the scriptures then to Mark's Gospel and to chapter 6. Mark's Gospel and chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And we'll just read the passage that I'm going to speak from this morning, which is from verse 7. In fact, no, we'll read from verse 1 to the end of verse 12, just to, because the immediate preceding context is perhaps pertinent. Um, and he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hand upon a few sick folk, and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages, teaching. And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into a house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet, for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Amen. We thank the Lord for this reading of his word. Let's bow our heads again in prayer. Our Father, we pray that thou wouldst help us as we consider these words this morning that we might know the presence and the blessing of the Lord, wisdom also, application of the content of these words to our own lives. Help us, O Lord, to be ready to go forth as those of old. Lord, to know that thou sent us as missionaries into this world, all of us. Lord, not just those who are uh, chosen, but particularly by the congregation as leaders within the church, but Lord, all of us. And we pray, Father, that thou wilt help us to witness of Christ. Bless us then, we ask, and continue with us this day, and help us, Lord, to overcome the opposition which stands against us. Sometimes, Lord, not an open opposition, but a subtle one, uh, which causes us to be silent when we should be speaking. Lord, we pray that thou wilt give us victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. So from verse 7 to verse 13 uh, is the portion that I want to consider with you, and it is the sending forth of the twelve. The reason I wanted to read the verses preceding it is because, of course, the Lord Jesus had come to his own people, to his own country. He had gone around the synagogues preaching, and yet they questioned him because he was one of them. And he knew, they knew his brothers and sisters, and they knew 
where he was from. They knew what his uh, education was and they were asking the question, well, how can he, how does he know these things? Where does he get these things from? And how is it that he, such mighty works are wrought by his hands? And instead of listening to the gospel uh, and to the good news that they needed to repent and to trust in him because he was their deliverer, instead of that, um, they gave him no ear. And therefore, that we see in verse 5 that he could do no mighty work, save that he, hid his hands upon, uh, he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. The wonderful thing is that the connection here, of course, is that Jesus himself going into that congregation of people or that, that society of people was rejected, but he doesn't give up on them. He doesn't give up. And, and we need to take that, of course, into our own uh, thinking that we don't give up. We have tried many things in this neighborhood. We have uh, leafleted. We have, uh, we have had missions. Uh, we have done children's work. We have done lots of different things to try and reach the people of this area. And yet we find that it is a hard work to do. But Jesus doesn't give up. And so we see that although he himself could do their no mighty work, uh, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them, then he sends his 12, the 12, in amongst them to preach the word. And so now he has given it to them that they might go in. Now you might say, well, it's the same thing, surely. It's going to be the same thing there. Uh, don't they come from this area as well? Uh, can we not say that Peter and, uh, and Andrew and James and John and Philip uh, all come from that same area? Uh, did they not all come from Capernaum and Bethsaida and the regions of Galilee? And yet, nevertheless, uh, they were given that command to go and to preach. Now, they might have been put off. They might so easily have said to the Lord Jesus, well, if you've been and, and you've preached the gospel and they've rejected you, they're not going to listen to us. And so often that is the, the, the thought of our minds and thought of our hearts that we think, well, we've done this before. In fact, I've, I've heard it said uh, before that, well, we've tried that before and it didn't work. So we, what's the point? Well, that, that's not the attitude of the world, is it? The attitude of the world is, well, let's try again and let's just keep on going. And uh, eventually there'll be a breakthrough. Well, that's what we need. That's the heart and the attitude that we need. And the Lord sends them forth and he gives them a command. So we can say, first of all, and I want to bring it under the three heads as usual, but first of all, the calling, and the calling, of course, is of the twelve. He called unto him the twelve. We're not given their names here in Mark's gospel, but we are given them in uh, Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. And we know amongst them there were at least four fishermen. Uh, perhaps there were more. Uh, we are not told of the occupations of all of the disciples that walked with Jesus but there were at least four fishermen so Peter and Andrew and James and John we know were fishermen we know that Matthew or Levi was a tax collector uh, he was a publican as it, as it was called worked amongst the public uh, bringing in the taxes for the Romans so we know what he did uh, but other previous occupations are not stipulated in the scripture. So we don't know what they did, but we know that it was a kind of a, a motley crew that were gathered together uh, and that Jesus didn't particular, particularly take, uh, for instance, salesmen, uh, those who were good at, at selling to try and put across this gospel. They were, they were rough men. Uh, and uh, we know that the scripture tells us concerning Peter that he was rough of speech and that he was a fisherman. So 
It, it doesn't matter what we are. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter if we have a, a great ability with words or not. It matters whether we are faithful and whether we will serve the Lord. And so he makes this choice of these 12. And later on, of course, he sends out 70. Uh, so they have a, a similar work to do. But here it is just the 12 that he sends forth. And we find then that there is a condition uh, which he sets before them. The, the condition seems to be this, that they are to take with them just two things. They were able to take a staff and they were able to take sandals, uh, nothing else. And as we read through there, we uh, saw what the Lord Jesus said to them. He says they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only. And then verse 9, but be shod with sandals. And in between those two things, no scrip, which is a, a, a small bag which you might take provisions in. No bread, no money in your purse, or the word there is a girdle, so the belt, so uh, perhaps uh, the belt of that time. Or it, it may have been a tie, of course, the kind of a girdle that would hold the, hold the uh, material in. You may have seen pictures uh, which have been representations of people of that age and they would wear a piece of cloth around, uh, and they would keep their money in that cloth. Uh, so no, no uh, money in your girdle or purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. What can we say concerning this? First of all, it says nothing, nothing for their journey. The word journey is not, not a great choice as, as far as I can see for the word that is used there. Uh, the Greek word is the word hodos. Uh, we find it in our Bible in the name Exodus. So Exodus means the way out. So the word hodos, the second part of that X is uh, out and hodos is the way. So really a journey makes it sound as if they're going miles and miles and miles. If we go on a journey, we're not thinking about uh, going to the corner shop, uh, which is like 10 steps up the road. But they were uh, to go on their way and they were to go on their way with nothing uh, with them apart from a staff and their sandals. So we look at the script, for instance, the bag for provisions, and think of those words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 6 and verse 32, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek, your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. And of course, with the bread and with the money in the girdle, uh, we realize that the Lord is saying to them, just go forth and preach the word and you will be supplied with all that you need. And that supply will come as you need it. You don't need to take anything with you. And I, I don't want you to go in there indeed, because this is not a gospel, which is a gospel of uh, plenty it's not it's not saying to people people uh, come and believe in the lord jesus and you'll make lots of money and you'll do well and and i think that that is borne out in the fact that he says don't put on two coats don't take a spare coat i don't want you to, to go in there uh, and for people the poor to look upon you and say well uh, i want to become a christian because look they're rich because they have this and that in this day and age of course there is a prosperity gospel which is preached and people say, if you, if you give to this church, if you give to this work, if you give to me, then God will give to you. And it's a kind of a prosperity gospel. And people uh, want to become Christians because they want all the things that they do in this world to be blessed. It's a carnality. It's, it's, it's the very thing which God doesn't want us to do. 
because he doesn't want our hearts tied to the world. He wants us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, for where our treasure is, there will our heart be. Now, why would God then give us lots of things in this world so that our hearts are tied to this world? It doesn't even make sense. So the prosperity gospel is a false gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is born out here in these words that they went forth and preached that men should repent, that men should repent, that they should turn from their wicked ways, that they should turn to God and to Christ, that they should turn from the world and the prosperity of this world, that they should turn to the prosperity of glory and of heaven, that they should worship the Lord only. And then we can say also concerning the staff and the sandals, perhaps we might say concerning those sandals in particular, remember those words from Exodus 3 and verse 5, and it said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Because the disciples weren't going to a holy ground, they were going to an unholy ground. They were going to a place where sin abounded. They were going to a, a, a company of people who were so ca- taken up with, with the cares and the troubles of this world, the thorns and the thistles of the, of the parable that we have seen earlier. There so many who had no depth of earth, those who were by, like the wayside, uh, that the, the very last thing it was was holy ground. And so they are to put their sandals on and they are to walk protected from the ground. It brings to mind that verse, thy shoes shall be iron and brass, and as thy day, so shall thy strength be. And the Lord tells them to put on their sandals and to take a staff, and thy rod and thy, st- thy staff, they comfort me. The, the staff uh, could be the staff of the sojourner. Of course, the traveler would take a staff. And this world is not our home. We're not staying here. We are, we are abiding here. We're sojourning here. We are encamping here for a short time and then we go on. And of course, the gospel is like that. We are, we are, this world is not our home as the, as the songwriter has written. We're just a passing through. And perhaps the staff represents the very fact that they are, that they are moving on. And they come into each town and wheresoever they will receive them, he says, there abide till you depart from that place. You're not going to stay there. You're going to go there and you'll stay for a time and then you'll depart from that place. So the staff has something uh, perhaps to say concerning that. And then, uh, so we see the choice then of these, uh, these people of all kinds, the conditions that they are to meet, and then the couple's which the Lord sets them into. He sends them out, as we see there in verse 7, he began to send them forth by two and two. He sent them out by two and two. Uh, There's something quite interesting about the fact that they are sent out two by two, I think. When we look at the times when people have been sent out by twos, uh, we can remember perhaps in Numbers chapter 13, Verse 23, and there it says, And they came unto the brook Eshkol, and cut down from thence a branch with one of the clusters of, with one cluster of grapes, and they bear it between two, upon a staff, upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. This, of course, was going into a new land. This was going into the, the, the land of Canaan. And in a sense, you can see how the gospel here is going forth, so to speak, into a new land. It is bringing together the kingdom of Jesus Christ. 
This is going to be the inheritance of Christ. All of those who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and are drawn to him are added to the church and this is a new kingdom. And this is the kingdom of which the scripture speaks. It's not a physical kingdom because uh, my kingdom is not of this world, Jesus says. It's a spiritual kingdom. And here they're going in and perhaps again, this is the very fact that they carry these grapes upon the staff is there a connection, once again, that they are allowed to take a staff? Again, in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1, a similar time, of course, uh, when they are actually going to go into the promised land now, the, the first time uh, you remember that they refused to go because they were afraid of the giants and the walled cities. In Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1, we read, And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly. Two men to spy, secretly saying, go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Is there a connection again here? Because they come into this city, they are there to spy out the land, but they come into this city, they are received by a woman called Rahab and they lodge with her. And Jesus said to them, when you come into the town, then you should go into a house in what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. There seems to me to be a connection because here is the beginning, while Jesus was there amongst them, here is the beginning of the church, of the gospel going forth by the people of God, not by Christ himself, because Christ has now given to the 12 power. He has, uh, he has uh, endued them with the power that they might go forth and heal and preach. And it's what the Lord has done to us, isn't it? The Lord has given to us that place. He has given to us that command. He has given to us that instruction that we should go forth into the world. And as he says to the disciples, go in and wherever you are received, there stay. So it was with these two that Joshua sent. They went and the person who accepted them, there they stayed. And they stayed there the whole time until they were let down from the house and, uh, and left once again. So here the couples that they're set in, I think is, is significant that the Lord has sent them out in that way. A significance not in the, just in the fact that there were two and going two by two, which we often hear about the importance of, of two by two, and I, I will bring, bring that also in. But the very fact that there is a connection with the promised land, the very fact that they, the kind of a parable, if you like, uh, the, the allegory, Maybe we can use that word of, of the children of Israel going into the promised land, crossing over Jordan. Of course, it's used a lot, isn't it? Uh, that crossing over of Jordan and becoming a Christian, the, the river of death, or sometimes going over Jordan and into heaven. We sing the, the song with the boys and girls, way far over Jordan, or won't it be grand? Uh, we'll meet in that land, or won't it be grand? Um, I stopped just a, a number of weeks ago and, and thought, uh, as I was, because I was play the, playing the guitar, I wasn't really uh, singing the song particularly, but I was thinking to myself, these children haven't got a clue what that means. Oh, and have a notion. Away far over Jordan, they don't know what Jordan is for a start. And going away far over Jordan, what does that mean? And we'll meet in that land, and won't it be grand? 
uh, we'll meet in that glorious land, would, they, they wouldn't have a clue. Because it is allegorical from the scripture coming forward to entering into the kingdom of God and entering into the kingdom of heaven. But there is a connection, isn't there, here between what the Lord Jesus does with his disciples and what was done at that time. Then, of course, we come to that thought of them going two by two and we read in John 8 and verse 17, it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. The testimony of two men is true. And so, uh, and again, of course, in scripture, it says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? So going forth in twos is, is something which is instructed to us. It's a good thing for us to do. Not just going out into uh, round doors or talking to people in the street or whatever else it may be. Uh, they weren't always, of course, in twos. Sometimes there was just one. But on this particular occasion, this is the, the uh, instruction which is given. Why? Well, Ecclesiastes 4.9, which we read earlier. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not, equally, not quickly broken. It's important then that we have a communion with someone. Uh, the scripture tells us that we should not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why? Because they're not going to help you when the trials and the troubles come. They're going to be of no use to you because they won't know where you're coming from. They won't know what your trouble is. And in fact, might even add to that trouble and to that problem. They might even be the cause of the trouble and the problem in the first place. But we are uh, to have those that we can walk with and trust in and speak to and, uh, and counsel them and have counsel from them. And then just that verse, uh, of course it's not the context quite here, but just that, that verse from Genesis 2.18, and the Lord, Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Of course, here uh, it is the man and his wife. But surely the principle holds true anyway, doesn't it? doesn't necessarily have to be a husband or a wife, but we need to have company. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. We need company. We need those who will be our uh, strength to us. So the calling then, and... Uh, then I want to move on just for a moment to the commission. Uh, first of all, the men to whom they should preach. It tells us in Matthew 10 and verse 5, a parallel passage to this, that Jesus commanded them saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. They were to preach to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But of course, later on, the Lord Jesus said, sends them forth into all the world. There's a connection. There's always connections in the scripture. But at this time, the preaching was to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They weren't to go to the Samaritans. They weren't to go to the Gentiles. The time had not yet come. Jesus had to die upon the cross first. 
He had to fulfill all that was con- con- uh, all that was connected with the house of Israel had to be finished in Christ before the gospel went forth to the Gentiles. So the prophecies of the Old Testament relating to Christ had to be fulfilled. And then once that had happened, then the gospel could go forth to the Gentiles. That's not to say the Gentiles had never been saved, of course. I mean, the, they, the, the Gentiles had heard there had been proselytes, of course, brought into the kingdom. And we read of some, Ruth, for instance, Naaman, uh, and Rahab herself, who we mentioned earlier. Uh, so there were other Gentiles, but the actual force of the gospel going out to the Gentiles would follow the death of Christ. So the men to whom they should preach were the people of their own country, and they were to go and to tell them. <clears throat> we see that there were miracles that would accompany them, the healing of the sick and the casting out of devils. We see here that these two things are set separately. They're not the same thing. Some are sick, some are possessed. But it seems amazing, it seems amazing how many devils were cast out in that time. And we think of the, of the, of the raising of the forces of hell against Jesus Christ as he came into the world. As Satan could see uh, things coming to fulfillment that had been promised from the foundation of the world. And he had got in there quickly and there were so many who had been beguiled and so many who had been possessed. But they were able to heal the sick and cast out the devils because God is more powerful than the devil. God is able to overcome all of the oppositions of the world. We need to keep that in mind, don't we, as we preach the gospel. And we may not be casting out devils or healing the sick, but nevertheless, let's not ever think to ourselves, this is impossible because all things are possible with God. And then the message that they should proclaim. And there was a message of repentance. They went out and preached that men should repent. Repentance is uh, a word, as I've said on many occasions, which means a change of mind. Uh, So the change of mind, of course, is from carnality which is thinking about how we're going to get through this world and the problems of this world and how we deal with the issues of today and what we're going to do, what we're going to eat, what we're going to put on, where we're going to live and all those kinds of things which fill our minds and fill our concerns and our worries, that our minds should be taken from those things and that our minds should be taken to heavenly places in Christ Jesus, how we might serve God, how we might know the blessing of the Lord, how we might learn from the scriptures, how that we might be filled with the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. That's where the change of mind comes. And we look upon many who profess the name of Jesus Christ and find that there has been no change of mind, that the world is so still much more important to them than the things of God. In Ulster, they used to talk about uh, some people who you'd see in church on occasion, and they would say, well, that person's not gospel greedy. You know, they don't want to be at everything. And there are those who would be at all the meetings. They just enjoy, they just love to be in the, in the place uh, of, of the Lord. They love to be there on the services on the Lord's Day. They would be there at the prayer meeting. They would be there for everything that was going on. Just loved the things of God. That we should have that. That we should love the Lord. Love to pick up the word. If someone says to us, well, let's read the scriptures together, it should be our delight to say, yes, let's do that. I was glad, the psalmist says, when they said unto me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. 
That's the attitude. That's the change of mind. That's what repentance is. A repentance from the love of the world to a love of God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. We, we are to love the Lord. So here is the message that they proclaimed, a repentance. Look to the Lord. And then finally the command, the sojourning. We've mentioned the sojourning already that they were uh, to take the staff and the sandals because they were on a journey. Maybe that's why the word journey was used here, because there was a journey uh, which they were taking. But it wasn't the, the physical journey into the villages round about, uh, but the actual spiritual journey uh, of carrying the gospel. But the, their sojourning was with trouble. Because we read there in verse 11, um, and whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment for, than for that city. The rejection. Well, of course, there is a lot of rejection. Uh, there's a lot of rejection today. People don't want to hear. People don't want to know. Uh, they'll listen to someone going on about their train spotting or their plane spotting uh, in their break at Tesco's, but they won't want to listen to what you did on Sunday. And I use that illustration because there was a young man who used to work in Tesco's uh, in, in uh, Hayes, and he would say that when he had his break, people would say, well, what did you do over the weekend? And he'd always listen to what they had done, how they'd parted or gone to a... To a uh, a, a rave or whatever else it might have been gone to the pub or whatever they did and then they would say to him well what did you do and so he would take the opportunity to say well I was at church on Sunday and the preacher preached on and then he would preach to them and they couldn't really complain because they asked well I'm not sure how often they asked after that uh, but nevertheless that's what he did he took the opportunity and so but there is a lot of rejection of course people don't want to hear the gospel they think they know the gospel well, they don't know the gospel at all. What they know is what the world says about the gospel, and it's not true what the world says about the gospel. And so their sojourning will be with trouble, and our sojourning will be with trouble too, but we're not staying here, are we? We have a staff in our hand. We have sandals upon our feet. We're going to glory. And so we're not, we're not just staying in this world, and, and if we're rejected in this world, well, so what? Because this world is not our home. And then we see the testimony. Well, the testimony, of course, uh, would be refused by some. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. So we are to make it clear that the gospel is there, but if you reject it, then you are hell bound. And there will be a judgment. And that the time is now. Now is the accepted time. Don't reject the gospel. Are you sure you want to reject this good news? Are you sure that all you want is this world? Especially as so many people say, well, if there's a hell, this is it. I've heard that said so many times. If there's a hell, this is it. So why do you delight in it then? You delight in hell? You desire to abide in hell? When you might know the blessedness of heaven? 
It doesn't make sense. It is iniquity. It is a perversity in the heart of man. We are, therefore, to make it clear that the gospel, if it is rejected, will bring nothing but destruction. Which brings that thought of the time, the time of retribution. Again, uh, the Lord says, Then shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And that brings us back to the two. Because how many messengers went down to Sodom and Gomorrah? Two. This word, angelos, means messenger. So the word angel means messenger. There were two messengers, two angels, who went down into Sodom and Gomorrah and warned Lot. And told Lot to escape because the judgment of God was coming. He told, they told him to repent, in other words. And he told his sons-in-law and his daughters and his wife and sought to take them and cause them to escape. Two. And could there be, once again, this connection? Doesn't Jesus actually make that connection for us by saying it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment because there were two angels who went down to Sodom and Gomorrah to tell the people there. But there are two who have come with a much better message. The message to Sodom and Gomorrah is you will be destroyed, escape for your lives. The message of these who were going in amongst them was, Jesus Christ is come, believe on him and gain your lives and you will have eternal life. A far better message, far more to be accepted. And yet, if they rejected it, then Jesus said it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. A message of blessedness. A message of salvation, a message of redemption, a message of of heaven and of glory and of communion with God. But if you reject it, Sodom and Gomorrah will look upon you and weep over what will come upon you. The question is then, will we reject Jesus Christ? Will we reject the message of the gospel? Will we not call upon his name? The judgment of God will come. There will be destruction. I was reading a, a hymn earlier, uh, which now I'm thinking to myself, I should have actually copied down and read it to you, but I didn't. And I can't find it now, so that's just too bad. But nevertheless, it speaks about the judgment of God. And some hearing those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and others going to the hell, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. Oh, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ accept that gospel and realize what that gospel is and what this repentance is and if your hearts are not taken up with Christ then let's attend to that very thing if the world is more important to us than the Lord Jesus Christ then let's attend to that very thing and make our calling and election sure may the Lord bless these thoughts to our hearts And may he have all of the glory.